Surely. If you haven't met me, my name's Stuart. I'm the leader of the church here. Very warm welcome to you um, on our Real Life Church Sunday Night Live meeting. Um, I hope you have a fantastic time with us. Okay, what we're going to be looking at today as we journey from Christmas to the cross, we are going through our series we've entitled Seven Words, which we are looking at the seven words recorded by the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John in our New Testament, um, that Jesus spoke uh, from the cross as he was dying. Um, and we find uh, three in Luke, uh, there's three in John, and one in, that is in both Matthew and Mark. So that gives us our seven. And the seven are, the first one is, uh, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Uh, the second is, today you'll be with me in paradise. The third is, behold your mother. The fourth is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The fifth is, I thirst. The sixth, it is finished. And the seventh is, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And these words are significant because they represent to us the culmination of Jesus' earthly ministry and sum up kind of what he achieved uh, in his death on the cross. And seven, ironically, is a, a biblical number for completeness, which I don't think is something that is a coincidence there, but there is a completeness in what Jesus achieved on the cross and then what he spoke about from that uh, place. And it's a privilege for, of us um, to be able to listen in uh, to what happened so far ago, to Jesus' final hours, what was on his heart, because these words reveal the heart of God, uh, they reveal what the death on the cross achieved, and they reveal what's important to God that we need to be taking very seriously. And so as we roll down to Good Friday, Easter, uh, Sunday, um, and on into the sort of the, the rest of the year, we want to meditate on these words, and hopefully they will come to us like different facets of a diamond, and each one will speak to us and hopefully remind us of the awesome thing that Jesus' death on the cross was and what it means to us. And it would hopefully stir worship in our hearts and praise and adoration for him. Now, so far, we've done the first three words or number four today. So the first word we looked at was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what we're doing. And we learned that Jesus died as the perfect sacrifice to pay the debt for our sin, uh, even though we were still enemies uh, and we get to receive that forgiveness. The second word uh, was today you'll be with me in paradise, which he spoke to the, the thief, the criminal who was dying next to him. And we learned that Jesus offers salvation to those who know they're guilty and cry out to him for mercy. Uh, the third one, which was a couple of weeks ago before Mother's Day, was behold your mother. And we learned that Jesus, when Jesus died, he created uh, a new family, the church. And we get to be drawn up and be part of that. If you missed any of those, uh, please catch up with them there um, online on um, uh, our website. You can get them there or through our podcast um, and you'll be able to catch up uh, with those. And um, before we get into today's word, have you found Matthew 27? Just a quick reminder of the context. Jesus is dying at this point. He has been crucified, which um, was the cruelest punishment uh, ever devised. Um, to execute someone. It was something they say was invented by the Persians, but perfected by the Romans. It was used by them as a means of terror in their empire to keep people in line. If you crossed Rome, this is what happened to you. It was such a horrific way to die uh, that Roman citizens uh, were actually exempt from it. It was considered too barbaric, too horrible uh, to use on a Roman citizens. But everyone outside of that, uh, it was fair game for them if they crossed Rome, uh, broke whatever laws they were. And uh, it was so horrible and so horrific that they invented a new word. Um, excruciating literally means uh, from the cross. And it was a word invented to describe the pain and suffering that an individual went through uh, when they died. Um, crucifixion itself was often pre preceded by flogging, which in and of itself could kill the victim. But if they survived that, they were then dragged out. Uh, they had nails rammed through their, their wrists 
and uh, their, their ankles and they were hung there to die. It was an incredible uh, display of physical torture. It was done publicly, so there was emotional suffering because they were mocked and ridiculed. It's often done in a, a public place, like on a main thoroughfare, so everyone got to see it. And so it was utterly horrific for the victim. It was trying to ex prolong pain and suffering um, for as long as possible um, for that person and really draw it out. And in that context, Jesus is speaking. We've seen three words, and now we come to the fourth word that we find in Matthew's gospel. And I've got it here. I'm going to read it. It's starting at verse 45. I'm just going to read two verses here. So we have Matthew 27 verses 45 and 46. It says this. Uh, now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out, with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, Lemma Sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let me just read that again. It's such a short reading. It says, now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, this word is found in Matthew's gospel, where it's also actually found in Mark's gospel with basically the same wording. This is the only word that's found in two gospels. And Matthew and Mark, it's the only word they choose to record. They don't actually choose the other ones, but we find them in Luke and John. So for them, this was obviously a massive importance. We wanted to highlight this word in particular. Um, and so what we're going to look at in this way, we're going to look at first verse, which is the setting, and then the second verse there, which is the saying. So the first verse, which is the setting, verse 45. Now, what we've got here um, is uh, talks about darkness. Now, all three of the, um, the Synoptic Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, all speak about this darkness uh, lasting three hours. And it says it began at the sixth hour, and that was the sixth hour was um, noon, kind of middle of the day, when it would have been the brightest and the hottest, and then the ninth hour would about about three three o'clock in the afternoon. So it's those uh, three hours um, that Matthew is talking about here. And he says at that point there was darkness over all the land. And those these these are three hours that represent basically the last three hours of Jesus' life. And there is a period of darkness now. In doing my kind of study and research for this, I found out that this could not be attributed to an eclipse. Oh, is it, is it an eclipse, like a, a solar eclipse where the, the, uh, the moon is blocked out? Uh, sorry, the sun is blocked out by the moon. And actually, it's not because of when the Passover festival is held, the Jewish festival at the time. Actually, it's, it's held at the wrong time for there to actually be eclipse. It just doesn't work. So it's not an eclipse. And a reference there to all the land means it was not localized to just Jerusalem, where the crucifixion was taking place, but actually a much wider area. And so the only kind of conclusion we can draw for that was this was not a natural event. This was supernatural darkness. And if we read our Bibles, we find that darkness, when God brings darkness, is associated with judgment in Scripture. We read this in Isaiah. We see it in the prophet Joel. Um, and also, if we go back in further back into our Old Testament, into Exodus, we find this is one of the plagues of Egypt. There were 10 plagues, the great 10 plagues of Egypt. The ninth one was darkness. 
And that lasted three days, which again is significant with the three hours, three days, there's an illusion there. And that plague was a plague of judgment on Egypt because of Pharaoh had uh, uh, Moses gone to Pharaoh and said, let my people go because the people of God were in slavery in Egypt. And Pharaoh basically said, no, no, no. And the plagues are coming. He kept saying no. And then darkness came as the ninth one. And it was still no. It says Pharaoh hardened his heart. He wouldn't listen to Moses. He wouldn't listen to God. And God said, as after that, he said, there's a the final plague is coming, which was what the death of the firstborn, which is where the first Passover festival happened. And this we are now at Passover many hundreds and hundreds of years later. And there was a firstborn dying on a cross at the Passover. And then there is darkness over the land. And so there is something in this about God's judgment. Creation itself cannot stay silent to what is happening. The creator of heaven and earth is dying on the cross and creation itself is responding to that. And the one who's dying on the cross is facing judgment. It's facing the judgment of God. And so there is that darkness which brings that. And into that context, that period of darkness, Jesus speaks. So that's the setting. That's kind of what's happening. Let's look at the saying, verse 46. It says, at about the ninth hour, so there's been three hours of darkness. Jesus has just been hanging there, uh, suffering. And it says he speaks in this. And he says he speaks out in a loud voice. So there is an intention here for it being heard. We know there were people at the cross. They were religious rulers. They were the Roman soldiers. They were the criminals who were crucified either side of him. It said there was Mary and John were there, particularly because we saw that in the last part. And they were also mentioned, if you read the Gospels, other women who had followed Jesus were also present there, plus crowds, passers-by. So there were many people there. So Jesus spoke out in a loud voice. It also speaks of emotion, intense emotion. Think about when you speak loudly and you cry out. It's because you are feeling some kind of emotion. It could be a positive emotion because you're screaming because your team has just scored and you're yelling or you're at a concert and you're screaming at the band on the stage or whatever it is. Or it can be a very negative feeling when you're in pain and suffering. Maybe you've been hurt physically or emotionally, but there is that intense cry of pain. Now, obviously, Jesus in this situation, it's a very negative thing. He has been um, tried and found guilty, he has been deserted, he has been flogged and beaten, he has been tortured and he is being executed. And into this context, Jesus is crying out for all to hear. And this is, imagine what this must have been. It must have been a supreme physical effort for him because of what he's gone through, but he wants to cry out and he is crying out and he is speaking. And it says, what does he speak? Well, we've got, if you've got your English translations, you've got that funny bit you can't read, uh, which I tried to pronounce. I don't think I got the pronunciation right, but I, I had a go. And what we've got there is Matthew has recorded for us the actual words that Jesus said, which should have been spoken in Aramaic. He then wrote them down and for the readers who are reading it, he didn't speak Aramaic. He then put a translation afterwards. And so what we've got recorded in our English is we've got the original words Jesus speak plus the translation, which has then been translated from the Greek into uh, our English. So we can read it and we can understand what he's saying. So Jesus, these are the words Jesus said. He, he cried out, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what he's crying out there, those words are the opening words of Psalm 22. You've got your Bible and you kind of scan back, just quickly flip back to the Psalms, find number 22. The, ver uh, the verse, first verse of that Psalm, the first words of that Psalm are that, my God, my God, 
why have you forsaken me? And Psalm 22 begins those opening words of a man who has been abandoned by God. It's written by David, uh, King David, uh, one of the greatest uh, kings of Israel, a man after God's own heart. He was God's chosen king. Uh, and God promised him that through his line, the Savior would come, the Messiah, the chosen one would come. But in this moment, God, David is crying out to God as God's chosen ones, thinking, God, you have abandoned me. I am alone. And these are the words that Jesus then takes that were written hundreds of years before by David and makes them his own in this situation. Jesus is crying out these words um, to all who can hear it and also to God as a kind of a question to him. And interestingly, they don't reference God as father, which is unusual for Jesus. Both the first word we looked at and the seventh word, which we'll get to, eventually both reference God as father. That is how Jesus refers to God the father. He often refers to God, he taught us to pray, our father, hallowed be your name, all those kind of things. But Jesus here isn't. It's much more of an impersonal thing. And he is crying out to God and quoting this psalm and taking it on himself as a man who has been abandoned by God because he uses that word forsaken me, saying, why have you forsaken me? And that word forsaken means abandoned, deserted, uh, left behind. And these are words of anguish. They are words of pain. They are words of suffering. Uh, theologians refer to this as the cry of dereliction. It was Jesus' words from the cross where he has his lowest ebb. And the reason for that is he is facing God's judgment. He is totally alone. He is totally abandoned. And the darkness that come is a sign that he is bearing the weight of the sin of the world. He is bearing the punishment for all those things that have been done that offend God. He is bearing the wrath of God on him for all those things. And that's why we have the darkness. That's why we have the crying out. And Jesus in that moment became a curse and bore the punishment for that curse for us. Those who were crucified uh, in the first century Israel were doubly cursed. They were cursed by the secular government, the earthly authorities, they've been condemned to death. But they were, by the religious authorities, they were also cursed by God because the Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians chapter three. He said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, curses everyone who hangs on a tree. He's quoting back to the Old Testament. There, and he's saying, basically, Jesus became this curse because in the Old Testament, there was the law, which was God's standard. If you broke God's standard, if you broke it, you were liable to punishment. We know that that just makes sense to us. You break the law, there's a punishment that comes. But Jesus became that curse. He is bearing that punishment for us. And being hung on a tree is a part of a sign of that. But we've also got uh, the darkness that comes over. And then Jesus cry himself, experiencing that, saying, God, why have you forsaken me? Because in this moment, Jesus has suffered physically. With the torture that he's gone through, he has suffered emotionally from the abandonment, the false accusations um, and being insulted and mocked. He is now suffering spiritually. He is suffering spiritually um, and he is facing the wrath of judgment for God, from God for being sinful. For all the righteous wrath of God that is poured out towards evil and perversion and all the vile things in this world, is now being poured out on Jesus and he faces it alone and abandoned. 
which is why he takes the words of that psalm and cries the words of David as a man who has been abandoned by God. And he cries out, God, why have you forsaken me? So that's the word. Let's see what we can learn from them. So there's two things that we can learn. Uh, we're going to have some bad news and then we're going to have some good news. So just hang in there. OK, so what can we learn? The first one is that, that sin needs to be punished. That's the bad news. Sin needs to be punished. So let's break this down and go through this. Sin is an offense to a holy God. God is described as holy in the Bible. In terms of sheer tonnage, he is described as holy more than any other attribute of God. We like to focus on other things that are a bit more fluffy and nice, but actually God is described as holy first and foremost. Holy means uh, separate. It means other. It means pure, uh, without blemish. It, it describes the very godness of God. He is separate to us. He is other than us. He is above us. He is transcendent. He, he is eternal. He is so much more than we are and that we can get our head round. And conversely, as he is holy, we aren't. We are sinful, the Bible says. We are sinful. And what does that mean? Well, let's break that down. What does sinful mean? It's a word we fling around in church and it's got a, it's got many shades of meaning. And sin, uh, sin is, is used, different words are used to describe it in our Bible and they're translated different ways. But what they in essence mean is, number one, sin means a failure to reach God's standards. It means falling short. It means missing the mark. It means this is where we should be get to and we never get anywhere near it. We just fall short. It also means rebellion, which is an active, um, uh, an active process we go through where we deny who God is, we break his rules, uh, we desire to be in charge of our own life, we, we deny his authority and put ourselves in the place of his authority, we disregard him. It's not, it's doing things we shouldn't be doing and it's not doing things we should be doing. It's just outright rebellion. So we've got a failure to meet God's mark. We've got transgression going over a line. Sometimes when you, the old word, you call it transgression. That's the idea, crossing the line. Rebellion, acting, saying we shouldn't be doing that, but we're going to do that. And the third thing is it's an indwelling moral corru corruption. The first two were kind of uh, outward things. Um, this one's much more an inward thing. When the Bible talks about iniquity, it's talking about the moral corruption of character. We have a bias which is internal towards evil. And actually, even if we, we do on the outside all the things that are good and the way we act, we try and convince everyone there's all the stuff that inside as it is and all the, th the thoughts we have about people towards people, the, the evil thoughts, the, the greed and the lying and the covetousness and the lust that's all in there. That's what we are. And these two things are opposed to each other, God's holiness and man's sinfulness, which puts us at odds. It puts us as enemies because they are diametrically opposed. And then the second thing, so we've seen that, the first, the second thing, so that sin is an offense to a holy God. The second thing is the only response to that is judgment. The only response when evil is committed is judgment. And this is the way our legal system works. It's the way even our own conscience work. When we hear about evil committed on the news, we want to see the perpetrator brought to justice in place of murder and theft and genocide and acts of terrorism, whether it's, in, um, whether it's been uh, committed by a corporation or an individual. We want someone punished and, and held accountable to that. We've even gone through that this week with the tragic story of the young lady who was abducted and murdered. It's been horrific. 
the pain and suffering from her family and the wider society it's all there's probably all these questions but within that there is a desire to find the individual responsible and bring them to justice and we also feel this on a personal level not just on a kind of a, an abstract level that we might see out there in our own lives if we are wronged if something is stolen from us if our name is slandered if someone comes along to try and hurt our children or damage our family or, or mock our friends we feel that desire that's wrong you need to stop someone needs to be held accountable for this and we respond that way and we like to think about judgment and anger when it's usually out there the problem comes when it's about ourselves about ourselves but the, and the reality is the only good and right person who's always been that way is God and we have failed so many ways in so many times that actually we stand under that judgment and the third thing there is that the guilty should be punished we are sinful we rightly stand under God's judgment God is holy and must punish sin therefore he must punish us if he overlooks sin he's no longer holy and good and right if you just ignore evil that doesn't make you good uh, or loving. In fact, it makes you the opposite. And so that's the bad news. The bad news is that you are way worse than you think you are. You might think, oh, there's some things in me that are not great. You are way worse than that. However bad you think you are, keep locking it down a few rungs and then a few more, and then you'll still be a long way off. All of us have fallen short of God's standard. We have fallen short of God's uh, glory. We have our own, the own pollution of sin within us. We try and justify ourselves by saying, we're not as bad as that person over there, my neighbor, my colleague, my friend, my family member. We're not as bad as them. They're really bad, that person on the news. But the reality is we're all guilty. And before perfect holiness, we all fall short. Which brings us to our second thing. That was the bad news. The good news is that Jesus bore the punishment for us Jesus bore the punishment for us that's the good news Jesus was totally sinless Jesus was both fully God and fully man and as fully God he was holy completely and as fully man he was holy completely in his humanity he was totally sinless all the faults that we have all the insecurities imperfections all the things we say and do and think all the things that we don't say and do and think that we should he never had that problem. He was perfect, holy. He never missed the mark. He never crossed the line. He never had that internal problem as we wrestle with things. It was the one thing that the religious authorities and the Romans agreed on about him. He was actually innocent, but they still killed him anyway. There, could be, there was no accusation that could be leveled against him. Yet despite his innocence, he willingly took our place. He willingly took our place. He took the punishment that we deserved. He faced the wrath of God so that we did not have to. The image the Bible uses is um, the image of the perfect sacrificial lamb. We read our Gospels. When uh, Jesus turns up on the scene at the beginning of the Gospels, John the Baptist is there preaching and Jesus comes along and John describes Jesus as the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And what John is doing there as he says that is he's hearkening back to the Old Testament, to the Passover festival, which I've already mentioned back in Exodus, where that final plague came on Egypt. It was the death of the firstborn. It was the judgment for their rebellion and their sin. And God says, if you kill a lamb and you cook it and eat it and you take the blood and you sprinkle it over the doorpost and the lintel, 
then you'll be saying, then I will pass over because a sacrifice has already happened there. And then the people of God went free because the firstborn died in its place, the lamb. And then we're out of that comes a sacrificial system. We see through in the Old Testament in the tabernacle, later in the temple in Jerusalem, where animals uh, were sacrificed to pay the penalty for sin. But the problem was it was just it was never enough. It was never it was only a, it was only ever a temporary um, fix. And that's why more and more and more animals had to keep being sacrificed day after day after day, year after year, after year because it was only temporary. But then the perfect one came, the ultimate sacrifice, the perfect lamb. And he dies on a cross at Passover and he pays the debt we owe. We found that out in the first word. Jesus pays the debt of forgiveness. We're, we're gone. It's been dealt with. And he bears the, the punishment of God for the sins of the world that he was completely innocent of. And there's something that happened in that moment on the cross when Jesus cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's something happened in the mystery of God where the Trinity, the perfect relationship between the Father and the Son broke. There was something that happened there where God turned his face away from the Son. That, that union which had existed from eternity past, there was a moment where God the Father could not look on his Son, God the Son, because he was sinful and he bore the sin of the world. And that's why Jesus cried out. That's why Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he did that in our place so that we didn't have to. The bad news is you are way worse than you thought. The good news is you are more loved than you could ever possibly imagine. You are more loved than you could ever possibly imagine. Jesus, God the Son, bore the punishment so that we didn't have to, so that we could go free, that our sins could be forgiven, that we could know him, that we could become part of his family, that we could have salvation, which we've looked at in the preceding um, previous words uh, from the cross. This is why Jesus died. And I just want to be clear here, because some people can get kind of confused in this. This was not an act of a vindictive God against some poor innocent man. This is God the Son taking the wrath of it willingly, uh, knowingly, he chose this, he wanted this. Although we talk about the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, there's still only one God. Who paid the price for our sin? God did. God took the punishment that we deserved on our behalf. He took the punishment that was right to be meted out and he took it from us. And so what we've learned from this is that uh, sin needs to be punished, but Jesus bore that punishment for us in our place for our sin and what we see in this moment in this four word is that taking place the cry of christ from the cross it's him bearing that pain bearing that suffering bearing that wrath so what can we do with this what do we do with this um, to finish i've got a couple of things that we can do with this where we finish first one is we need to repent of our sins we need to repent of our sins repent simply means um turn around and go the other way it means a 180 degree turn a complete change of direction and let me just kind of put this into um two halves uh, if you are uh, a believer here um on the call you're a follower of jesus you're a christian it means one thing if you're not a believer you're not a christian and you're just kind of looking it means something slightly different so i'm just going to go through them so if you're not a believer you're not a christian and you're kind of looking in trying to understand what does it mean for you well what i've said for you uh, in the sermon so far is true for you you are guilty of sin you will have to stand judgment for them. You will have to pay the price 
for them. You And I'll give you a heads up, you're going to be found guilty. You know you're going to be found guilty. You know you're guilty because you know all the things you do. You can't even keep your own standards, let alone God's standards. We've all done that. We'll try to make ourselves feel better, feel good by doing certain things. We can build up our own righteousness. It never works. We fall apart. We get things wrong. We know what goes on inside our hearts. We know what goes inside our mind. We know all that stuff. And as a result, then we will, we will have to stand judgment. But because Jesus died on the cross, he offers you mercy and salvation. If you repent of your sin, if you turn around, if you recognize who he is, if you put your faith and trust in him and what he did on his death and subsequent resurrection, which we're going to celebrate on Easter Sunday, that he rose bodily from death and now rules and reigns forever and one day return to judge all mankind. If you repent and put your trust in him, you will be saved. He will take the punishment for you. And it's a decision you make now, but it's one that will work out all the days of your life, like a marriage. It begins with one decision on one day, but actually what happens after that is a lifetime, decades of working it out. So for decision to follow Jesus is something you make in a moment, but it's something that works out for the rest of your life till you get to meet him face to face. And so if that's you, you need to respond to Jesus. You need to respond to him. You need to pray something like, um, oh, Jesus, I recognize who you are. You are God. I recognize you came uh, to earth. You lived the perfect life. You were sinless. You died in the cross uh, in my place for my sin. You took the punishment that I deserve so that I might be forgiven. And you say, God, I want you to forgive me. I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry how I belittled you, lived my own life, um, done my own thing, uh, you know, made fun of you and not wanted to follow you. Uh, and I say, God, forgive me that I may choose to follow you now all the days of, of my life. And you just pray a prayer like that and you put your faith and trust in him and you begin a journey that will end when one day you see him face to face. If you're a believer here and you're on this call, well, that's good news because not only did Christ take your place, he has also given us his righteousness. We have right standing with God. We have now been made holy, the Bible says. We were once sinful, but now something has happened. We now gain Christ's righteousness we stand holy before god righteousness means right standing the apostle paul wrote in 2 corinthians um, 5 21 he says for our sake he made him jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him jesus we might become the righteousness of god for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of god jesus took our sin gave us his holiness we are now not guilty before god that is fantastic we can come before god and be declared not guilty we are righteous we are holy not because we're clever or good or we worked our way out of the kind of pit pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps no because of what jesus has done and only what jesus has done and we get to live in the good of that we get to live out that we get to live out lives of holiness and following jesus not to gain his favor because we already have it not to earn something from him because jesus has already given it to us we do it in response to him out of worship because we love him and we want to serve him and if you love someone you, you jesus said if you love me you're going to follow my commands you're going to do what i am because i'm the one who's going to give you life and life in abundance but if you know there are things you're doing right now that was wrong, you just need to stop. You need to get right with God. You need to pray and you say, come before God. Thank you for that. You died in my place, my sin, Lord. This is the issue. You name it. You can feel, say, God, sorry for that. Forgive me. Receive that forgiveness. Move on. Move on. That's what we're to do. 
So that's the first thing. We need to repent of our sins. If you're not a believer, you need to view the whole shebang. If you are, you need to keep short accounts. You need to reflect over what's happened over the last few days and call on God for his forgiveness, knowing that you are his son and you or daughter and you will receive that. The second thing we need to do, and I want us to do that, is to enjoy it. Enjoy what God has done for us. Enjoy what Jesus earned for us on the cross. If we just reflect back over the words we've looked at already, Jesus paid our debt so that we are forgiven. We stand not guilty before God. He brought us into his kingdom that we might, we might be saved and we might be part of his kingdom outworking. He, he brought us into a new family. We've been adopted into that family. God is now our father. And we know now that because Christ has been abandoned, we will never be abandoned. We have been made holy and righteous and we are, can come before God uh, at any time and make our requests. And I would love us to take a moment now and some time this week to just enjoy what God has given us in Christ. Take a moment to do that. And one of the ways that I do it that I find the easiest is to take a moment and stop. And just stop. And most of you probably are just sitting comfortably. I'm standing, so it's a little different for me. But you sit comfortably get comfortable and I'd love you just to sit there and just enjoy what Jesus has given for you to actively think over the things that he's given for you not that you've earned but the things that he's done for you sit there and just be reminded that you are forgiven the debt has been paid that parable with the, the servant who had the debt that was astronomical that couldn't be paid. Uh, and he just went and begged for mercy from his master. And the master said, I'll clear the debt. Boom, it's gone. That's for you. The debt's gone. It's been paid. You've been adopted. You have been brought into God's family. He is now your father. You can go to him at any time, any place and just say, father, you are his beloved child. You've been declared not guilty. But not only have you been declared not guilty, you've been made holy. Being declared not guilty is one thing, but then you've been added to that. You've been made holy. You are a new creation. You're part of God's eternal kingdom, which spreads from eternity past to eternity for you. You've been caught up in his great purposes. He has plans and purposes for you. And so what I find helpful is just sometimes just to sit and just take that in and enjoy it and not do anything. Not try and say, well, I better... I better try and do something just to make God love me more. He, he doesn't work like that. He does. And sometimes you put on a, a song might help, a worship song that you play. You plug it in your earphones or just if you've got some space, you can just play it out um, and listen to it and just enjoy what it's got. It's done. You can listen to the song. You can sing along. It doesn't matter. And if while you're doing that, something comes to mind, oh, I haven't sorted that. Lord, I get it right. Just repent. Say, God, I'm sorry for that. Receive his forgiveness and then enjoy his presence. Ask the Holy Spirit just to come and fill you and say, fill me, Lord. Remind me of all the good things that I've done. Remind me of what you've done. And so what I'd love to do now, I'm just going to kind of pray. Some of you are already there, but I'm just going to pray for you where you are. So maybe you just open your hands if that helps you. Close your eyes if that helps you. You know, you can just start just praying to yourself, speaking in tongues, whatever kind of gets you in the zone, focus. I'm just going to pray for you and then we're going to stop and we're just going to take a moment to enjoy what God's done for us. Enjoy it. We can't earn anything extra, so don't even try. Just sit there. It doesn't matter what happened today. You think, well, I've had a terrible day. It doesn't matter. 
You could think I've had a brilliant day. You know, I've been on fire. Doesn't matter. God's love for you is constant. You are more loved than you could ever imagine. The Holy Spirit of God, we pray you come fill your people now. Thank you that you are with us all, wherever we are in our homes. And you've been present with us this whole time. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace and mercy poured out on us. Lord, we thank you that you took the punishment we deserved. Lord, we thank you that you were forsaken so that we would never have to be. Lord, we thank you for your presence with us. We thank you that we've been adopted into your family. We are beloved children. You are our father. We can call out to you any time, any place. We can just come into your presence and just be. Thank you that we are forgiven. Thank you that we are justified. Thank you that we are made holy. Thank you that we are new creations in you. Thank that we are part of your great family, part of your eternal purposes, part of your kingdom. Lord, we thank you that your resurrection power lives in us even now. And it is transforming us even now. And we're just sitting here. But you are at work, Lord Jesus. We thank you for that, God. We pray, give us grace to just enjoy what you've done for us. To enjoy it and sit in it, Lord, and not be racing around trying to earn it and do more. Give us moments, even this week, where we just stop and we pray and we just say, thank you, God, for all you did for me. And we just take a moment to enjoy that, Lord Jesus. And God's people said, amen. Amen. I'm going to hand back to Charlotte now.